Hey, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be here shortly. Uh, but man, first off, let me just let you know, uh, you know, as a church, what do you do when the bass player is out of town, the drummer is out of town, uh, your worship leader is uh, not feeling up to snuff to be able to sing? You know what you do? Everybody just slides over a spot, right? <laughs> we just get it done. And I'm thankful that Lindsay Lane East is not built on any one man or any, even our staff, uh, all the people you saw leading worship today are just members of our church, just like uh, so many of you, and uh, they just step up uh, whenever they need to, and so we're thankful to have such a good team, um, and as again, the church is bigger than any one person, bigger than any one staff. Uh, if you're a guest here with us, man, we're so pumped that you are here, and uh, we just thank you for being here, and all we ask of you today, uh, well, we ask you to engage with us and have a good time today, but at the same time, we also want to ask you to fill out our Connect card. Uh, so hopefully you got one of those when you came in, and today uh, we ask you to fill that out. At the end of the service, uh, we have two options that you can do with that. You can take the James Bond route, which is uh, to be a spy and slip out as silently as you tried to come in, and you can drop the uh, the card in the offering or at the uh, in the blue bucket on your way out. However, we do have a gift for you today. If it's your first time worshiping with us, we've got uh, T-shirts, Lindsay Lane East T-shirts that we would love to give you today, but you can't James Bond it, okay? You've got to stop by the booth on the way out and give them your, uh, your uh, ticket, um, your ticket. <laughs> Could not. Thank you. Connect card. Uh, make sure you do that. And uh, so that's going to be, that'll be really cool. We are ordering some more shirts, so if they don't have your size, I apologize. We'll get them here this week, all right? Um, good morning. That's in my notes. All right. Good morning, church family. So good to see you this morning. Um, already told you to, where to turn. I wanted to do something before we get started because uh, I get this question a lot. Um, Heath, are you going to tell everybody who they should vote for? Um, so I get that question a lot. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you how to vote today. Y'all ready for this? Some of y'all just got nervous. All of you just got nervous. I'm going to tell you how to vote today. For the last eight weeks, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, the overarching theme is Jesus' teaching that the kingdom of God is not something that we're going to one day. The kingdom of God is something that he wants to bring right now. He wants to use men and women, just like me and you, to bring this kingdom to the earth. However, that kingdom is not a political kingdom. That kingdom is one of compassion and grace and love. So I will not tell you today who to vote for, but I will tell you how you should vote. When you go to the polling polls this week, here's how you should vote with the kingdom of God in mind. No matter which bubble you fill in, <laughs> have in your heart and in your mind the idea that the kingdom of God is greater than anything that's going to happen this week. Don't live in fear, as Daniel said, because God still sits on the throne no matter what happens this week and no matter how, which way you lean. Because I ain't leaning either way, I'm leaning on Jesus. And so that was cheesy and very 80s, but I said it. And get over it, okay? And so the only thing I'll leave you with, just to make you mad one more time, uh, God hit me with this just yesterday. My fear is that we as the church, we're currently caring more about what happens on Tuesday than what's happening in eternity. 
if we cared as much about the kingdom of God as we are currently about the kingdom of the United States, our neighbors would be worshiping with us this morning because we would have blown them up with gospel love. There would be no widows in need. There would be no orphans without homes. The nations would be reached if we, our hearts broke. And not that, not that the vote that's happening this week is totally unrelated to the kingdom of God. I am not saying that. But it is not the most primary thing that affects the kingdom of God. That involves your heart and mine. All right, lock the doors, don't let them out. Okay, here we go. Um, that's just something God laid on my heart today. Again, I won't tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you how to vote, and it's vote with the kingdom of God in mind. Here we go. This week we're finishing up, or not finishing up, but starting to finish uh, our study through the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we dive into the last four weeks of this study, and we're calling it Kingdom Come on Earth as it is in Heaven. We're going to be talking about what does it look like for the people of God to live out the kingdom here on earth by four how-to messages. The first one we're going to talk about today is how to worship. So I am going to guide you through this passage. Um, It's laid out weird today, and it's messed with me all week about how I felt like God wanted me to lay this message out. So I hope it comes across uh, understandably today, okay? So let me read. There's actually 18 verses, and um, I don't typically like to read all of this but um, or that much at one time, but I'm going to today. So let me read verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6. I'll pray, and then we'll come back and talk about this. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's start. Uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. They imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive. It's easier for some of us than others. So that their fasting is obvious to people. That was supposed to be funny. It's just awkward that you didn't laugh. Uh, Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, pull off your, uh, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, uh, God, for this large block of text. God, that there's so much stuff. God, multiple weeks worth of sermons that we could preach. But God, I pray that today you speak clearly what you want to communicate today. 
about how to worship. And God, may it touch our hearts and challenge us. And God, may we leave this place different than the way we came uh, with next steps in place to be more obedient to what you have done in us and through us today. Be with us and teach us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Let me get caught up in my notes because I had all my scripture in there. So um, we're gonna, what I want to do is Jesus is talking about worship here. And so, again, a lot of times if I was going through just this passage, we'd probably make four sermons out of it. But what I want to do today is really zoom back up. I want to zoom up and look at this kind of as a, see the overall theme of what Jesus is trying to say. And so he's talking about worship, clearly. He's talking about three particular forms of worship. Um, and so if you got a handout when you came in, this is where it'll come in handy, okay? Three forms of worship that Jesus addresses. Giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. Giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And so what I want to do is walk through each one of those because those things look very different. Um, for us in 21st century America, not very different, but look a little different. So I want to make sure that we understand what's going on um, when, uh, when, we, when Jesus says these things. So giving to the poor. Let's look at that verse. This is verses 2 through 4. Right, We read those earlier. By the first century, there was already a well-organized form of, uh, of relief for the poor. Right, um, it, Poor today uh, is very different than poor then. And, um, and so the poor would literally just be left uh, with nothing. There was no, for a while, there was no form. And so the Jews have actually helped through synagogues, um, have helped to care for the poor by the first century. And so if you don't understand what synagogues are, oftentimes, because we're so disconnected, we think the Jews worshipped at the temple, and they did. But within each city and within each uh, some of the larger towns, there were synagogues, right? When Paul travels around from city to city, this is where he goes. He goes into the synagogues to preach um, and to have conversations with people. So the synagogue was a place of teaching. It was a place of engaging with one another. It was a place that provided uh, a, a regular time of worship. So it was here that, it, um, that the synagogues actually provided this system of relief. So the, the poor were totally dependent on contributions from the community through the synagogues. And so the Jews, so if you think of like our welfare system, right, we all, it comes out of your taxes, right, essentially, to pay for welfare. This is not that way. This would look much more like a, uh, um, uh, the House of the Harvest, where we're going to be serving this Saturday, right? It's, it's totally based on contributions. The contributions don't come in. We don't have food for people, right? And so uh, this is what giving to the poor looked like. The Jews that Jesus is speaking to, he's speaking to his disciples, they would have been very familiar with this process, giving to the poor. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus addresses prayer. So he talks about prayer in two ways. Where are the two places he says they're praying? In verse 5, synagogues and street corners. Okay, so the first one's the synagogues. So they're going, uh, they're going to the synagogues, and within the synagogues, prayers would be lifted up corporately. This is corporate prayer in the synagogues. But not just any Joe Blow who walks in the back door was allowed to pray. This would be reserved for those that were seen as the spiritually elite, the Pharisees and the scribes. This was not just for, you know, fishermen and people like that, right? This was for, uh, this was for the spiritually elite corporate prayer. But who's praying on the street corner? <laughs> All right, here's the, the thing. When I read that, because I'm in 21st century America, I thought of street preachers. Anybody else? That's what I thought about. 
Um, that's what I picture. I picture uh, a time I went to an Alabama football game, and there was a guy preaching, and I was already in ministry, and I was walking by, and he told me I was going to hell unless I repented, right? And I told him, I'm good, bro. Don't worry about me. Hit the next one, right? And so that's, that's what I think about, though. When I th- hear praying on the street corners, and Jesus is kind of calling that out. But don't think that, okay? Uh, when I, what I read this week, and uh, it's just based on sources that I found, uh, good, solid sources, that in the ancient world, what we think of as uh, the way that we read, like the way I read, my wife hates. Anybody like to read out loud to yourself? There are four of us. There's got, some of y'all are just lying. Um, I like to read out loud to myself. Um, I, I, I learn better that way. That's why I hate online classes. Like, I like to hear communication come to me, even if it's my own voice. I hate that, but it's what I got, right? And so I want to read out loud to myself. All the rest of you, that's a new thing, right? The idea of reading to yourself is a relatively new idea. In the ancient world, you didn't read to yourself. You read out loud even when you were by yourself. And so in the ancient world, even private scripture reading was often done out loud. They didn't read it to themselves. And in the same way, a lot of people will generally say, a lot of scholars believe that even the Jews did not privately pray to themselves. They were praying out loud. So imagine you're walking down the street or you're in your home or you're in a public place and you want to talk to the Lord. How are you going to do it? Out loud, the same way I do when I'm driving down the road, and y'all think I've got Bluetooth on. I'm not talking to Matt, I'm talking to Jesus, right? But, so these people, so when Jesus is talking about praying on the street corners, they're not, pray, they're not, it's not street preachers. People would literally just be praying to God publicly. So if the first one, if uh, praying in the synagogues was corporate prayer, this is what we'll just call public prayer, even though it's supposed to be designed to be private, but we'll talk about that later. The third way, form of worship that's found here is fasting, all right? And so this discipline is just a little bit different um, in that um, Jesus nor his disciples in the scripture um, command to practice fasting on a regular basis, okay? You see that all through the scriptures. We'll talk about it here in a second. Um, What we do have by the first century is that the Pharisees were practicing fasting, Fasting meaning not eating. They didn't fast from social media or from TV like you and I do. It was, it was a food fast. That's what they did, okay? And so they're depriving themselves of food so that they can focus on who God is and be reminded of his goodness and his provision for them. So the Pharisees were fasting twice a week. We know that from the scriptures in Matthew. And it's in there. And so we also know that John the Baptist who was a rabbi of sorts, right, in his own little weird, peculiar, living-in-the-woods way. Um, John the Baptist also had a, follower, he had a group of disciples, and they fasted twice a week. Jesus comes on the scene, however, and his disciples don't fast twice a week. And that's one of the things that, that they accuse Jesus of. They say, hey, look, the Pharisees are fasting twice a week. John's disciples are fasting twice a week. What are y'all doing? And you may think this is irreverent, but bear with me. Jesus said, hey, man, we're partying. It's literally, I mean, not literally what Jesus said. Essentially what Jesus said. Jesus, his defense is when the groom shows up, you don't fast. 
when the groom shows up, what do you do? You party. And that's what Jesus said to, to his accusers. He said, hey, my disciples aren't fasting because they're, he didn't say it, in his, but in, he, was, he was declaring the groom, the savior of the world has come. There will be a time for fasting for my disciples, but it ain't today because the groom's here, right? And so this is what we do see in the book of Acts is we don't, we don't see any um, regular fasting go on in the book of Acts. What we do see is two occasions um, where prayer and fasting is mentioned, where uh, there's an important decision to be made, uh, where they're going to send Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey and one other encounter that I didn't remember in the first service, and now I'm forgetting it too because I didn't put it in my notes. But there's two encounters in the book of Acts where Jesus' disciples, important decisions to be made, so they pray and they fast. Uh, Paul does speak of being hungry. There was pretty much the same word used for fasting and for being hungry, but it seems like Paul is saying that he just didn't have any food. Uh, it wasn't like he was choosing not to eat in these two situations. Um, and so what we do have, though, is um, within like the second to third generations of Christians, what we have is this, uh, this, this document that comes along. Um, it was literally a manual for discipleship, and it's called the Didache. Anybody heard of the Didache before? All right, so the Didache, you need to go research the Didache. It's, real, it's, it's neat. It's not the Bible. Okay, but it's a neat document from um, from pretty early on in Christianity, and so what we have in the Didache is that early on in, in Christian life they did begin to practice the same thing that the Pharisees and John's disciples did. They started fasting twice a week, but we never see it outlined. So don't panic. I'm not going to tell you that's what the Bible tells you to do. But we do have evidence that the early disciples did fast um, twice a week. But anyway, that's all for fun. Okay, so giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Now you understand what we're talking about. Those are not the points to the sermon, though. We had to get those out of the way because what? look at uh, verse 1 with me of chapter 6. Jesus was a good teacher. And so before Jesus dives off into how to give, how to pray, and how to fast, he gives us a, a thesis statement of where he's going. Verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. That's what he says in verse 1. And so then what Jesus does is he takes that outline and then he looks at it in regards to giving, he looks at it in regards to prayer, and he looks at it in regards to fasting. The same terminology is used. Look at it. Look at verse 2. So when you give to the poor... Don't sound a trumpet to be applauded by people. But when you give, give this way so that your Father in secret will reward you. Right? Jesus says, don't give this way. Give this way. God will reward you. But what does he say about prayer? He says, don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They think they're going to they're gonna accomplish something because they sound fancy and they're saying a lot of words. Pray this way, and your Father will reward you. And then, then he goes through a little segment that we're not even going to be able to touch today, which is like 7 through 16, 15, where he, talks, he goes deeper into prayer. But we're not going to have even time to touch the Lord's Prayer today. That'll be another sermon for another day. And then he jumps to fasting. And he says, when you fast, don't do this, do this, and your Father will reward you. Right? 
And so it didn't seem beneficial to me to make giving, praying, and fasting the three points of the sermon. So instead, we're going to look at what Jesus says about all three of them and what I believe to be worship in general. The first thing is actually something Jesus doesn't say. That's a very preacher thing to do, isn't it? Here's three things Jesus said. The first one is something he didn't say, and this is it. This is what is interesting about these. When Jesus talks about giving and praying and fasting, he does not command us to do them. Point number one is this. Worship is assumed. Worship is assumed. If you don't like the word assumed because it makes you think of something your uncle told you when you were growing up, you can put expected, okay? Does that help you? All right. I didn't think about that for the early service, but there you go. But it is expected. Worship is expected or assumed. Jesus does not give a command in the scriptures to do these things right here. Jesus simply knew that if his disciples had had their hearts changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would do these things. Notice, he doesn't say give, pray, and fast. He says when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Jesus knew that they would do these things and many others because they were his followers. Not because he had told them to, but because he had led them to it by changing their hearts. The same is true for us. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus and you, you're, you're looking for all the commands and you're looking for all the things, that, all the check boxes that you want, remember what this whole study has been about. It's not about the check boxes. God has changed your heart so that you might worship him. You won't find commands for every form of worship in the Bible. But what you will find are great examples of men and women who worship God in different ways, all for the pursuit of knowing him more. Because of the change that has occurred in us, these things should be the desires of our new heart from and for God. And so the question is, do you worship? Do you passionately worship? And I love the fact that y'all know when I'm asking a rhetorical question. That would have been awkward if all of you had answered. Okay, But I do want you to answer in your heart. If worship is assumed by Jesus for his disciples, the question is, do you worship? I'm not saying, did you come to church today? We all recognize that, right? Just sitting here doesn't mean you worship. You've heard the old preacher saying, any more than being in a garage makes you a car, right? That's overplayed, but this is truth. And so the question is, I would argue that you have a heart issue if you have a difficult time worshiping. You have a heart issue because God has changed your heart so that you would worship him. So if you don't worship him, then you have a heart issue. But I'm going to explain to you two different heart issues. This is a side note, not in your notes. Um, Something God laid on my heart to do for the first service, so I'll share with you. Uh, This is something that God helped me and Kelly with. Um, I grew up, I was saved when I was seven years old, and I believe that the Holy Spirit of God changed me when I was seven. I don't believe I was a church kid who just got baptized. I believe God changed me that day. Um, Now, what it means when you get saved at seven is you've got a long life ahead of you and a lot more sins that you didn't even know existed. When I was seven, I didn't know you could sin in so many ways. Did y'all learn there were lots of ways to sin? I did when I became a teenager. (laughs) There's so many. 
And so when I began to encounter those, I began to face all those opportunities to sin. What I began to struggle with was, was I a Christian? Because I found myself engaging in these sins. And what I recognized is, uh, man, what I needed then is what I recognize now and I share with so many people um, that there is a difference between your union with Christ and your communion with Christ. And I hope this helps you today. If you find yourself totally unattracted to worshiping God in any form, you do have a heart issue. Let me explain two different heart issues. The first is you may not be unified with Christ in union with him. And what that means is that when the Bible speaks of that we are in Christ, we are of Christ, we are with Christ, there's literally in the book of Ephesians that says that we've been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And so that, that's all, it's salvation language, church. So I believe, not because I'm Baptist, because it, but, but, but because of what the Bible says, that when you have been saved, there is no one who can snatch you from the Father's hand. The Bible says it. Not because I'm Baptist, it's in there, okay? <laughs> However, so you may not be with Christ. You may not be a Christian. That may be why you don't enjoy worship, why you're not passionate about reading your Bible or praying. However, it's not the only reason. Let me come over here to make the visual, and I'll use my other hand. I'm teaching you guys how to preach here, okay? These are good, these are good tools. This is communion with Christ. We have a union with Christ. We also have communion. This deals with our sanctification and our ongoing relationship with God. Even if you've been saved by Christ, even if you're, the blood has washed you and you are going to spend eternity with the Father in heaven, there is still a very real relationship that is affected by your decisions. And even if this is right, it doesn't mean this is. This can be off your communion with Christ, your relationship with him. This is affected by the sin in your life. This is affected by unrepentant sin that you shove down in your heart and you don't deal with. It's affected by how often you open your Bible. It's affected by the way you come into worship. It's affected by all these things. And so if you've got unrepentant sin in your heart or you've got issues with other people in the church house, the Bible says that's sin, amen? And so if all these things, that affects your communion with Christ. I needed to be told when I was 14 years old, I was finding myself engaged in sin that I thought I could never find myself in. I needed to be told, Heath, you are secure in Christ, but you're a bonehead, Quit doing the stuff that, you're suppo- that you know you're not supposed to do and let Christ experience, be, experience Christ on a daily basis through a relationship with him. When I found myself struggling in my faith and whether I was a Christian or not, it was not because of anything God hadn't done in me. It was stuff I wasn't doing for him. And I was messed up and I, and I just made a lot of dumb decisions. However, What I needed to be told in that moment was, Heath, you are secure. What you are lacking is a relationship. And if if I say today that worship is assumed of the children of God and it hits you between the eyes and makes you feel convicted, ask this question. Are you secure in Christ? Are you positive? Have you experienced the presence of God? If you felt him, if you know God saved you a year ago, if you felt the presence of God, if you felt him leading you, he is still, he's still leading you today. You just may not be listening. Okay? 
So are you unified with Christ? If you're sure about that, but you still don't want to worship God, you don't want to read your Bible, you don't want to pray, the question is, how's your communion with Christ? Right? No matter how bad a week I have communicating with my wife, which is not always great, this ring on my finger still signifies that we are married. There's nothing that changes that. Now, she may not want to speak to me because I've been a jerk. <laughs> right? The relationship may be off. The marriage is still there. Church, be encouraged today. Ask yourself those hard questions, though. Worship is assumed of his children. It's expected of God's disciples, Christ's disciples. However, if you're finding yourself not doing it, ask that question. That's what was Jesus didn't say. Worship is assumed, but point number two is this. Worship can be empty. Now, this is where we see a clear tie-in to what Jesus has been talking about through the whole month of October. So for the whole month of October, what we said, I would like to see, if we had an intern, this is what I would ask him to do. Count how many times I said sin over the last four weeks. Because I feel like that would be a terrible task for an intern. We ask, we ask our interns to do good things, I promise. Not just dumb things like that. But I feel like I said sin so many times in the month of October because that's all Jesus was talking about. But the whole point that we saw was that we think sin is about our actions. What Jesus says is it's about your heart, right? That's what we saw. It's not about our actions. It's about our heart. Now, this week, what we're seeing in the text is that we think worship is about our actions, it's about singing and praying and lifting our hands and studying God's word. But what does Jesus say it's about? The heart, right? It's the exact same thing. Jesus just flipped the thing. He goes from this negative action that the heart is what leads to negative actions of sin, but the heart is also what leads to actions of obedience. And so today I believe Jesus in the text, and they're kind of the same thing, but I made it two separate points because I think it's worth talking about. Um, there are two ways that Jesus speaks about that our worship can be empty. The first is this, when the private becomes public. Worship can be empty when the private becomes public. Now here's the deal. You've heard me say this. I don't believe that worship and your spiritual devotion to the Lord is just a private thing. Surely you've gathered that from me since January, minus 16 weeks of COVID, Right? We've been here a while. We've talked about how most in the, in the letters, Paul is usually using the plural form of you, not the singular. So he's speaking to the church as a whole that we worship and we engage together. So worship is public. It's a very public thing. We gather together to worship. It's a corporate action. However, there is also need for a private devotion to the Lord. There is a need for private worship. And a lot of people... And y'all know I do a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, what are those things? Like uh, spectrums. Y'all know I do that all the time, right? We talk about that. But all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. Some of us prefer public forms of worship. Man, we like to get down. We like the music loud, right? We like the singers hitting high notes, Daniel. Don't leave it down here, man. Get up there high. Where is he? Hit those high notes, baby. Let them ring out, right? <laughs> We, we love that, and we, we engage in that. Man, we love to hear somebody else pray, and we love to pray for our church. All those things are very public, but some of us are very private to the point that some people won't even come to church. They want to stay home and just worship from home. Right? That's the extreme. 
Church worship is not just private and it's not just public. Worship is something that God has called us to do in both environments. And when our only devotion to God and our only worship is what happens from 1045 to 1145, may God have mercy on his children. If we don't give, if the only way we'll give is by, you know, taking a picture of your check and posting it on Facebook. I don't know what that would, that's not, nobody does that. But like if you, (laughs) I don't know. Um, He says sound a trumpet. Nobody came in with a trumpet. I'm trying to put it in 21st century terms here, okay? But Jesus says don't go in and blow a trumpet uh, or uh, or use change. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) So when you go by the blue bucket on your way out, everybody knows you gave because you threw in change instead of a dollar bill. Like it makes noise. That's why we chose a plastic bucket and not a metal one. It's less noise. Just trying to keep you all accountable. Um, so we don't give. If the only way you give is when other people are watching or the only time you give is on Sunday morning and you've got friends and neighbors that are in need and you don't help meet those when you can, it's not good. If you're not praying privately, if the only prayers that you hear or God hears when you're Uh, from you is on Sunday mornings, that's not good. And if you're only fasting for the show, if you fast for a particular reason and you do hashtag no filter pictures all the time when you're doing it, show everybody that you're not wearing makeup and you're, you know, whatever, then you're not really worshiping God. If 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 the public is the only place you worship then Jesus says, Jesus would question whether you're worshiping at all. Because it's not in your heart. If the, only time, if the only time God stirs in your heart to worship Him is when you come to church, then I think you're stirred by emotion and not by the Spirit. That's what Jesus says. And so, when the private becomes public, and only public, um, let me talk about something too. This was a question um, that I got. What does Jesus say when he says go into your private room? Right, and remember again, and I don't have time to study this as much, and that's why it wasn't in the sermon, but I know it's a question that, that people have had. And um, Jesus is not saying corporate prayer is a sin. He's not saying that. Um, what Jesus seems to be addressing is Jesus is showing that when our hearts are drawn towards this type of behavior, when we're drawn towards praying, uh, what is this verse? I don't know. Verse uh, 5, if you're drawn to pray like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people, Jesus says, you know where you need to be praying? Is in your room with the door shut, the windows down, and the TV up loud so that nobody can hear you pray. It's, a, it's to humble those who find themselves not in a humble place. And so I saw that on, um, I can't even remember now, it was in a Facebook comment. I don't remember what the thing was about, but somebody said, I thought Jesus said not to pray out loud in public. And I was like, well, that's not the scripture. But anyway, the, the disciples, the, the churches that, that Paul writes to, he talks about public prayer. He, he, he endorses it. Uh, for the church, and Jesus himself does. So anyway, that's just for free. Jesus isn't telling us not to pray um, out loud or even in public. Uh, he's just saying, if you've got an issue with it, you, then you don't, need to be, you don't need to be doing it in public, all right? 
Um, so let's look at the 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 two B or whatever it's called. Um, so not only can worship become empty when the private becomes public, also when the applause is for us. Man, worship is totally devoid of its power and its effectiveness when the applause that we're seeking is for us. Um, and so, man, this we got to go back to verse two to make this connection here. Um, look at verse 2 of chapter 6 with me. So Jesus says this, So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet um, before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets, to be applauded by people. Now, just to catch you up again, a reminder, Jesus didn't speak English. We all understand that, right? Okay. Jesus, uh, and, and this wasn't originally written in English. Um, the, the text here was originally written in Greek, and so when this word, it's not out there anymore, applauded, when applauded by people is the same verb that's used in Matthew 5.16. Look at this, Matthew 5.16. In the same, uh, let me let's start at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone who's in the house. Listen to this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is contradicting himself, right? How can he say, let your light shine before others, right? So that they may see your good works. And then, chapter 6, he says, don't do anything, right? So that others may see you. What's the difference in Matthew 5, 16 and Matthew 6, 2? Open-ended question. Motivation. Who said glory? Somebody said glory. glory. Kathy, she's waving a handkerchief back there. Glory, she said. Glory, that's right. Yes, this is the difference. Our motivation and who gets the glory at the end of the day. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine before others. But it's remember what it's in reference to. It's in reference to the Beatitudes. That's important. Don't just pick it out. Don't cherry pick verses. Jesus is speaking of the Beatitudes. He's speaking of being, then he speaks of being salt and light. So we're supposed to let these, these, uh, these principles of our life show to others so that they'll applaud us. No, so that God gets the glory. That's what Matthew 5, 16 says. And then Matthew 6, verse 2, Jesus says, don't do any of these forms of worship if your only desire is to be applauded by people or to receive glory from people. And so Jesus poses an important question for his first century disciples and his 21st century ones. Is your worship in this house and otherwise for the glory of God? Or do you have wrong motives? When you lift your hands in worship, are you trying to put off an air? When you speak up in your small group, are you doing it for the right reasons or are you doing it so that people think you're smart and spiritual? These are real questions. This is real life stuff. Jesus says these are important questions. Our worship must have as its end goal the glory of God in our church and among the nations. This must be the goal, the end goal of our worship. 
everything we do. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Paul's been a lot of places in Romans, a whole lot of places by chapter 12. Paul's been looking at what faith looks like and the importance of faith and there's a whole lot of meat that's coming into verse 1 that we don't have time to talk about, but just know that he's been describing the riches of God's glory and, and then he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I'm in verse 1, sorry, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, Here's what I know. Out of all the verses that we put on our walls at the house, Romans 12.1 is probably the most differently translated among <laughs> versions of the Bible. So if you ain't holding the CSB in your lap, that was probably different. Okay, that's okay. The main point is still the same. Brothers and sisters, because God is so good, present your bodies not just your Sunday mornings, not just your homes, not just your families, your bodies, everything you are, present it as a living sacrifice. Not to lay our lives down to be killed, but to lay our lives down so that we might live. Holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. This is worship. So when Jesus talks about three forms of worship yes we want to affirm that uh, that worship through giving prayer and fasting is assumed and it can be empty when we do it wrong but i believe Jesus' disciples under the guidance of the holy spirit show us that worship is not three things worship is your life and so let me ask you a question is any aspect of your life is any part of who you are and what you do are you doing it for your own glory or for the glory of anybody else other than God. For the glory of your name, for the glory of your work's name, for the glory of the name that's on the sign out here in front of our church. Dude, may it never be so. God has called us to lay down our lives as living sacrifices, doing everything in our lives as worship. Our lives are for God's glory, every ounce of us. So i got a couple of questions. First off, if worship is assumed of Jesus' disciples, what does God speak into your heart about that? Do you begin to question, well, why don't I like to worship or why don't I worship? If so, remember the union and communion language. God wants, to, God wants you to leave this place understanding, okay, I, dis, I do not enjoy worship because, one, you don't know Christ. God wants you to settle that before you leave. I know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. Also, if you know that you're a Christian, you know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, but you still are not enjoying worship at this moment in your life, in, your li in whatever, then God wants you to get your relationship with him right. And just like a marriage, it's not going to happen just by saying, I'm sorry, and then going about the way you live your life. Right? 
We come to God with a repentant heart and we, we lay all the sins that we've, we've, we've shoved down. We lay them all before him and we say, God, I know this is affecting my relationship with you. All these things, take them through the blood of Christ. You've forgiven me and help me live for you. But if tomorrow you get up and you do the same things that you've always done, your relationship with God will not get better. I want to ask you, is your worship being affected by things in your life? Get the union first. Make sure the communion is continuing to grow. Salvation and sanctification. The second question, or third question, or fourth question, I don't know how many I asked. Is your worship empty? Like today, when you lifted your voice in song earlier, based on what we just talked about, when the private becomes public only, and when the applause is for us, was your worship empty this morning? Because you were doing it for the wrong reasons. Is your worship through the week? Is the way you lead your family and the way that you live your life at work? Are you doing it for any of the wrong reasons? If so, God wants you to stop it. He wants you to stop. He wants you to put him at the center. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice for God. Today, those are the challenging questions that have been on my heart. And honestly, as your pastor, I'm not immune. I wish I was. I wish I could stand up here and tell y'all, hey, y'all just get in line behind me and do what I do, baby, because we rolling. That's not it. My wife's here. I lied to the first service, but she knows. She knows. I struggle with this stuff too, y'all. I can, spend, I can spend hours studying all week and praying all week to prepare to preach and not grow in my relationship with God. And that is so easy to do for me. I can so easily read God's word through the lens of you and you, and you, that's an 80s pastor thing too. I can, I can read the scriptures only through the lens of you and never for myself and spend hours doing it and check my box and be disobedient. I can spend time praying that you guys would all get your messed up lives right <laughs> and all the while neglect my own messed up life. You guys don't get to hear this, but every week, we pray as a, as, as a staff and as a worship team and as a media team that God use our jacked up selves <laughs> because we're not perfect. And your pastor struggles with this too. So we're in this boat together, baby. But the question is, are you, is your worship empty? And do you need to deal with the union or communion in your life? God has called us to live for his glory in everything that we do. And listen to me real close here. You cannot live for the glory of God unless you have first trusted in his son. And today, if you've never trusted in the name of Jesus Christ to save you, I don't care if you've been baptized, I don't care where your church membership is. If the spirit of God has not changed you and leading you, you need to trust in Jesus today as the only one who can fix it because he died for your sins and then he was raised up. Today, you can trust in him. We're going to have counselors by the back door during this last song and I'm going to be up front too. We want to talk with you. We can't save you, but God can. We want to help you know how to do that. And also, if you're one of these private worship people, 
and you think, man, I don't know about this whole church thing. I don't know about all that. I could be worshiping God in a deer stand today. Yeah, you could. But if you really want to be my friend, you'll love my wife. Amen. Don't, I ain't going to invite you to my house if you don't speak well of my wife. You got a problem with my wife? Get out of here. You know what I mean? You don't really love me if you don't love my wife. Why can Christ not be the same? You want to love Jesus, but you don't love his bride. You want to love Jesus and you want to pray and you want to do all that privately, but you don't want to come to church. And I know y'all are all here and I'm on live stream too, so maybe some of you. You don't want to, you don't want to be a part of the body? That's it. You can't love Christ without loving his bride. So not that you've got to be a church member or anything like that, to, to, but we do. We want you to be a part of what God's doing here, and we'd love to talk with you about how you can join our church. Man, we've seen so many families, like six families since COVID, join our church family. Man, we're pumped. We're fired up. And some of y'all are those families, and we're glad to have you. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and I don't know how God may be laying on your heart to take next steps. As a worship team, y'all start making your way up here. Again, I'm so thankful for them. They're going to, we're going to sing this last song, and there's a few different ways. You can, you can respond by going and talking to our counselors about something going on in your heart. You can come talk to me. You can pray at this altar. You can stay where you are and sing. Right? That's, a, that's a way to respond today. You may want to stop what you're doing and just ask these hard questions that we've been preaching about, or you may just want to close your eyes and pray during this last song. However you choose to worship, do it. I'm going to say a word of prayer and then I'll turn it over and they'll start singing. And After I pray, you guys stand up and let's sing. Father, we love you, God, and we thank you so much that you show grace to us, God. There's so many times, God, that I know my worship has been empty because it's been about me or it's been about um, just, God, just I've been way too distracted or, God, my, my, my private life hasn't been good and I've been depending and crutching on a, a public worship at church or at a concert or a, a conference or something, God. And my worship just feels empty in those moments, and I know it. I just pray, God, that as I'm speaking, I've spoken to people who are in the same boat, God, I pray that you would break us of that and that you would help us to be obedient in everything, God. Give our hearts to you and our lives to you. For those who have never trusted in you, I pray they would, they would, God, as their only Savior, their only one who can save them from their own sin. I pray, God, for those who are like me and just need to deal with you on some distractions in our life, God, that we would. I pray that you'd be with this time, God. Whatever next steps you lay on each of our hearts, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God don't let us forget it. We leave this place, God, and we go to all the distracting things we have planned for today. I pray the Spirit continues to prod us and lead us to be obedient, myself included, Father. Be with us during this time. Bless us and use us. In Jesus' name.